Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read from the New King James Version as always, unless otherwise stated. And I'm going to read verses 6 through to 10. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through to 10. Have you found Genesis? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Ask the person next to you, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we began a new series entitled A Spiritual Review. And uh, last week, we continued the series with a message entitled How We Grow. And we focused on four key elements. We focused on the fact that we grow through doing and not just hearing alone. James reminds us that we shouldn't be hearers of the word alone, but doers of the word. We also learned that we grow when we seek to find maturity in the mess. And that oftentimes there is maturity to be found in the middle of the mess or the messes we experience in life. And when we focus on the maturity and not just the mess, we actually grow in doing so. We also learned last week that we grow when we understand spiritual warfare. And we looked at three levels of spiritual warfare. What were they? Say them with me. There was the spiritual realm. Then there was the earthly realm. And then there was the personal realm realm and we learn that we grow when we understand what battle we are facing whether it's an earthly battle whether it's a personal battle and understanding the dynamics of the warfare behind that and then of course we learn that we grow when we stay committed through the good times and through the bad times as well i believe it's proverbs 24 verse 10 that says if you fail in a day of adversity your strength is small and we learn the importance of being committed through the thick and thin today we both continue and conclude our series, A Spiritual Review, with a message I have entitled, Hide and Seek. Someone say, Hide and Seek. Of course, when I say Hide and Seek, what comes to mind? The game, Hide and Seek. And with that, I'd like to throw a question to each and every one of you listening online and every one of you here. I would like to throw this question to you. What are some of the iconic childhood games you remember playing? Anyone? Who? <laughs> Connect four. No, in person. In person. So not like board games and so on and so forth, card games. It. 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 Tag. I spy. Knock down ginger. Did anyone play Run Out Beats? Did anyone hear of Run Out Beats? Okay, maybe that's just, just me. We won't go into that. Someone said kiss chase. Someone said kiss chase. Those of you watching online, what are some of the iconic childhood games you play do let us do let us know any any other games yes who brown girl in the ring yes 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 i don't know what the connotations are to that i'm sure there's something to it any anyone else any 
Stuck in the mud? What's stuck in the mud? Oh, yes, of course, of course. Did anyone play that game in, 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 we played it in school, where you line up on one end of the playground and you've got to get to the other side before Bulldog, is that British Bulldog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some icon iconic um, childhood games that we all remember, and I hope they are childhood games and not games that we are still playing now, especially Kiss Chase. But of course, Hide and Seek is an iconic children's game. It's a game that many of us would have played many of us probably play uh, for those of us who are parents with our children and the like in fact if you've never played hide and seek is there anyone in here that hasn't played hide and seek before okay if you haven't played hide and seek or at the least heard of it i don't know what country you were born in what childhood you, you experienced or what school you went to but hide and seek is an iconic children's game and the reason why i entitled this message um, hide and seek as I was preparing to share with you is because I realized from my experience of just having conversations with other Christians of different races and ages and cultures and backgrounds that a lot of them feel like their spiritual walk is a game of hide and seek with God. A lot of them feel like they're seeking clarity and direction in particular areas of their life. They're looking for answers in particular areas of their life, but it feels like God is playing a game of hide and seek with them. It feels like they can't hear God and get answers to the most important questions that are on their heart. But I want to tell you this morning, right from the get-go, that actually God changed the game from hide and seek to seek and find. And there are many scriptures in the word of God that show us that it's not hide and seek, but it's actually seek and find and one of them that I want to give to you this morning is found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 it says ask and it will be given to you what does it say after that seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you so we see that God has reversed the game from hide and seek to seek and find but then the question we then have to ask is if the game is seek and find why is it that some people still struggle to hear God in particular areas of their lives why is it that some people are looking for direction they're looking for answers they're looking for clarity and they're praying but they're still not hearing God we know that God doesn't lie by his word right we know that we know that we serve a God that doesn't lie so if he said that we should seek and we will find why is it that some of us feel like we are seeking but yet not finding well i want to give you three reasons as to why this may possibly be i'm going to spend about 60 percent of the time on the first one and then i'm going to go through the last two very quickly but i'm going to give you three reasons as to why sometimes we do not hear god when we are seeking and finding him but before i do that is everybody all right with the air conditioning today is everyone cool is it warm in here a little bit warm can we get the, the air con on just a little bit? I'm warm up here, but I don't know if it's just me because I'm in preacher mode or if it's everybody else. So just wanted to double check that and uh, hopefully it won't be too cold. We're just getting it right week in, week out. Those of you at home, are you cold? Are you hot where you are? Are you in the kitchen? Are you in the front room? If you're in your bedroom, get up, go to the kitchen. Don't fall asleep while, uh, whilst I am preaching. I can see people now. Um, I can see the comments of people, people telling them that it's cold 
Um, can I turn it down? And they're not even here in the room. God bless you all the same. Okay, three reasons as to why sometimes we don't hear God. Firstly, number one, because we don't seek him wholeheartedly. We don't seek him wholeheartedly. Now, one of the things that I've realized that Christians often do when it comes to reading the word of God is that they read a scripture and they stick with the promise, but they miss the condition and the caveat that comes with the promise. I'll give you an example. Very well famous verse from the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. What does that scripture say? It says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Hold it there for a second. How many of you have heard this verse before? Okay. Now there's different arguments. Does it apply to us? Does it not apply to us? And so on and so forth. But how many of you have heard people quote this scripture and say, the Lord has a promise for me. He has a hope and a future. How many of you have done that yourselves? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? We've taken that scripture and we've read it and we've held on to the promise. But oftentimes, when we read the scripture, we don't look for the caveat. Because the scripture doesn't stop there. If you look at verse 12, it says this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Do you see the caveat? And you will what? And you will what? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with? With all your heart. Verses 12 and 13 give us the condition and the caveat. But what we do is we take verse 11 and say, the promises of God are mine. He knows the plans and the future and the hope for me. But hold on a second. There's a condition to it. It's when you pray. It's when you seek him wholeheartedly. And I want you to pay close attention to the last three words of that verse. Say them with me. All your heart. Not some of your heart. Not a quarter of your heart. Not a part of your heart. When you search me with all your heart. It's a bit like a, a padlock. Right? I have this padlock. It's from the gym, which I'll be going back to in a few days after prayer and fasting. Don't judge me. Okay? Now, I've got a padlock that has, what, four digits for its code to be entered in order to, for it to be unlocked. But let's imagine, I'm not going to use a real code of mine because some of you online are hackers. So, <laughs> let's say that 77401 is the passcode for my padlock. Question. If I, uh, if I enter 77402, is it going to open? So you're telling me that even though I've put in all of these, it's not going to open. Is that what you're telling me? That even though I put in 77400 and they are all correct, just because the last one is not correct, it's not going to open. Is that what you're telling me? So are you saying that in essence, in order for the padlock to open, it's not good enough to have the majority of the digits in the code. Is that what you're telling me? So what you're telling me in essence is that I've got to have all of the elements in place. And do you know that when the word of God tells us that we need to search with all our heart, it's saying all our heart. Not part of it, not the majority of it, 
but all of our heart. So my question to you is this, where in your life perhaps have you not fully surrendered to Christ? Maybe there's certain areas in your life where, yes, you've got it right, and yes, you're on point in those areas, but are there particular areas of your life that you hold back from God? Are there particular areas of your life that you fail to surrender and give up to God? Because I'm going to show you right now how this principle comes into play from the word of God. Look at the book of Mark, and look at Mark chapter 10, and let's read verses 17 through to 22. It says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to to him, watch this, teacher, all these things, I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, what did he say? How many things? How many things? One thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor. This guy came to Jesus and said, I don't commit adultery, I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't do this. He had all the ticks in the padlock code. Jesus said, you're missing one digit. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, I want you to understand something very important for those of you in here and those of you listening online. This illustration is not about works. That's very important for you to know because we know that we are saved through grace and faith. So this is not about working to impress God. This illustration is about surrender and wholeheartedly surrendering on to God. And God said, okay, you do all those things, but actually your heart is not fully with me because if it is, you'd be willing to do the one thing. And notice something. Jesus did not do what many people in the workplace as a manager or even within the church leadership would do. Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 young rich ruler, come back, come back, come back. At the end of the day, you do do this well and you do this and you do this. It's only one thing. So actually you're cool. No, Jesus never compromises. He says, I want all of your heart. Not 95%, not even 99%. I want all of your heart. Jesus wasn't the type of person that you could go to within the workplace and say, but I come on time and I do my reports and I make sure my work is great, but I'm not fully committed to the organization. He says, no, I want all of your heart. Someone say all of your heart. Now, for this man, it was riches. That was the one thing that stopped him from unlocking the code. For some of us, you only know what that one thing is, or those two things, or those three things, but you haven't fully surrendered. Maybe you give God your finances, but you don't give him choice or room in your relationship choices. No one wants to say amen now. It's okay. (laughs) Maybe you give him access in your relationship choices, but you don't give him access in your giving. What are the areas in your life that you have not fully surrendered to God? For this man, it was riches. I'm going to show you what it was for three other men in the word of God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We're going to read through to 62. It says, Now it happened 
as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Can I borrow you, Aaron? Just stand there for me. Aaron is the first man. Everyone say hi, Aaron. Okay, so we're going to try and do this illustration with social distancing. So this first man says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you know what I love about Jesus? In the fact that Jesus doesn't compromise, he's very clear and direct about what it's going to cost you to be a follower of Christ. I love the fact that this man says, I will follow you. And Jesus doesn't do what many of us would do today. It's so great that you want to give your life to Christ. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. Jesus tells him up front, you want to follow me? Let me tell you something. Foxes have holes, birds of the air has nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lays it out for him straight away. Because I don't know about you, but many of us were told when we come to Christ, Christ is going to take away all your troubles. It's going to be well with your soul. No one told you that you're going to have challenges in your faith. No one told you you're going to meet other Christians in your faith. No comment there. And so it says here that Jesus said to him, let the, no, go back. It says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes of the air, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In summary, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you're following me, it's not going to be comfortable. And this was what this one man struggled with, comfort. And Jesus said, you want to follow me? It's great you want to follow me, but let me just make it clear to you. It's not going to be comfortable. And there are many people who want to follow Christ as long as it's comfortable. But Jesus is saying it's not going to be comfortable. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to call you a Bible basher. They're going to question your faith. He's going to challenge you to step out of the boat. He's going to challenge you to go to Nineveh and preach a message you don't want to preach. He's going to challenge you by getting other people around you to challenge the way you think and the way you speak and the way you behave. It's not going to be comfortable. And the one thing that this man lacked was comfort. We then go on to the second man. He, this is Jesus now making the invitation. He says, then he said to another, follow me. So the second person comes up and Jesus says to him, sorry, he says to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, if you've heard me preach the scripture before, you've uh, probably heard me give you context to this scripture. The reason why this man wanted to go and bury his father is because he knew that if he buried his father, he would get his father's inheritance. If you were the first in the family and you buried your father and your father, you were present at your father's funeral to bury your father, you would be able to get the inheritance. So what this man was saying is, Jesus, I will follow you, but let me first go and make my monies. And then I will follow you. Did you notice that none of the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishes of men, said actually following you would mean a decrease in pay? Because it did mean a decrease in pay. Let me go first, sort out myself, and then follow you. None of them did that. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. And by the way, can I just point something out to you? Let's just take a little ad break, okay? Can I just point something out to you? Because this is very important for you to know. If you're going to be successful in life, especially from a place of leadership in the church or the workplace. When Jesus said to this man, let the dead bury their dead, if someone on the outside was listening, they would have thought, that's quite harsh of Jesus to say, considering that this man has just lost their father and he's saying, let the dead bury the dead, you follow me. But Jesus knew why he was saying it to the man and the man knew why Jesus was saying it to him. 
And sometimes in leadership and sometimes in life, not even in leadership, you say certain things to people in a certain way that you know why you said it, they know why you said it, onlookers don't understand and they think you're harsh, they think you're rude, they think you're mean, but they don't understand the context. And you have to be willing in life sometimes to be misunderstood in order to fulfill purpose. Jesus knew why he said what he said and that man knew why Jesus said what he said. And this man's one thing was convenience. I will follow you as long as it's convenient for me. Comfort says I want it to be easy. Convenience says I want it to be suitable for me. So I will follow you as long as it's suitable for me. If it interferes with my schedule, if it interferes with my time, I'm not sacrificing because I want it to be convenient for me. Then we have the last man. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So we have the last one who says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go and just say goodbye to those in my house. Again, this doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that, right? You just want to go and say goodbye to your household, and then I'll follow you. But then what does Jesus say? He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus say this? Because when this person said, I will follow you, but let me just go and say goodbye to my friends, Jesus knew that this one was having mixed thoughts. They were having doubts. And possibly when they went back to go and see their friend, their friends might have convinced them, actually, are you sure you want to follow Jesus? So Jesus says, listen, anyone putting their hands to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus was saying, you can't be one foot in and one foot out. You can't be one way to your friends and another way with me. You have to be fully in and fully committed. And it's an interesting metaphor that Jesus uses when he says, anyone who puts their hands to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Why does he use that analogy? Why does he use that metaphor? Why does he use that picture of someone plowing? The reason why he does so is because plowing is one of those things that when you are doing it, if you look back whilst doing it, you will not feel like you're going off course, but you actually will be going off course. It's not like driving. I was going to say try it when you're driving. Don't try it. If you're driving and you look back, you will soon go off course. When you're plowing, it doesn't even feel like you're going off course when you look back. But actually, when you turn and look forward, you actually realize you're going off, pra- off, off track. So Jesus was saying, listen, it's very easy for you to be sidetracked and to be pushed off track by friends if you're looking for comfort, if you're looking for convenience. And that one thing for that last man was his friends. What is the one thing that you haven't fully surrendered to God wholeheartedly? Thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if, condition, if you seek him with what? Some of your heart? Sorry, can't hear you. All your heart and with all your, what is your soul, your will, your emotions, your feelings, your choices, your decisions. Not with some of your soul, not with some of your heart, with all your heart and your soul. Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. 
then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their... I can't hear you guys. They should return to me with what? Some of their heart? Their whole heart. So sometimes we don't get to hear God as clearly as we would like to because we don't fully surrender our life to him. We give him some of our heart and not all of our heart. We don't allow him into every area of our lives. The second reason sometimes why it feels like God is playing hide and seek with us or we don't hear God is secondly, number two, because we don't seek him diligently. We do not seek him diligently. Look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 17. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 17. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will diligently, sorry, those who seek me diligently will find me. Now, there's two things I want to point out to you from that verse. It says, I love those who love me. Imagine you went to a wedding and they're doing the vows and, you know, they say, what are the vows? Married people. Don't tell me you've forgotten your vows already. In sickness and health, to death do you part. What's the rest of it? For better, for worse, for richer and poorer. Till death do us part. Look at you, some of you are in pressure. Okay, all right. Now imagine you go to a wedding and doing the vows and the guy or the woman, like you're sitting in the audience and the guy and the woman doing the vows and they're like, I promise to, to love you with 85% of my heart. What would you think? Someone said entanglement. But isn't 85% a lot? Isn't it a lot? Okay, what if they said 90%? Would that do for you? No? Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. What if they said 95%? How many of you, if your fiancé said that to you when you was getting married, 95% would be happy with that? You people are greedy. Isn't 95% enough? All right, all right. What about 99%? No? So how much do you want then? 100%. You want their whole heart, right? So firstly, we see from that verse that that backs up my first point about God wanting us to seek him wholeheartedly. But secondly, when most people read that verse we've just read, again, they miss that there is a condition with the promise. This is how we read it. I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. That's not what it says. Did you hear me? It doesn't say, and those who seek me will find me. What does it say? Those who seek me diligently. We always read the scripture, but we don't look for the condition. We just take the promise. What does it mean to seek diligently? It means to show care, conscientiousness in one's work or duties, the quality of wishing to do one's work or duty well and thoroughly. So God is saying, when you seek me thoroughly, when you show care in your duties before God, when you create and carve time to spend with me, then you will seek my face. In other words, you can't just be claiming the promises without the conditions. You have to be willing to seek me diligently. It's not just enough to seek me, but you have to carve out time and make time to spend 
with me. And the third reason sometimes why, why we struggle when it comes to hearing God or finding God, number three, is because we don't humble ourselves. We don't humble ourselves. Second Corinthians, sorry, Second Chronicles, rather, chapter 7, verse 14. What is the first word of that verse? Can't hear you. Does that mean it's conditional? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and what? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. The promise is that God will hear, he will forgive and he will heal if you humble yourself. And to humble yourself is to acknowledge that you are nothing and nobody without God. That's what it means to humble yourself. To humble yourself is to realize that everything that you are, have and will become is as, is as a result of God in your life. That's what it means to humble yourself. It's to acknowledge the fact that you are who you are as a result of him in you, not you in you. Okay, tell the person next to you, I think he's talking about you on that one, you know. It's about him in you. And the Bible tells us when we are humble enough to seek help, to surrender and say that I need you, Lord, then he will hear your cry. It's when you get to that place where you say, Lord, I'm struggling in these areas. I need your help and you humble yourself appropriately, then he will hear your cry. And the Bible tells us that we should humble ourselves. Because if there's one thing that the Bible tells us God hates, it's pride. He tells us that he detests even a proudful look. So it's so important that you should humble yourself. Those of you watching online, put it in the comments, hashtag humble yourself. I wanna conclude with this thought this morning. At the beginning of the message that we have in, uh, gone on this journey on this morning, I read to you Genesis chapter three, verses six to 10. And I don't know if you were sitting there wondering actually what was the context of reading that in relation to hide and seek. Well, the reason why I read that is because when you read that scripture that we read as our opening scripture, we see that Adam decides to hide from God. Why was he hiding from God? Well, the scripture says that he was afraid. But do you know what? God never had given Adam any reason to be afraid of him. Hadn't given him any reason to be afraid of him. But Adam was afraid because of his sin. Sometimes we think it's hide and seek, but it ends up just being hide on our part because we hide from God and others because of the shame of our sins. And at the beginning of the message, I said that God changed the game from hide and seek to seek and find. But the reality is, is that the game was always seek and find. Because in that scripture that we just read in Genesis 3, if you look at it closely, you will see that the Bible tells us that God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And he asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't vice versa. It wasn't Adam seeking God. It was God seeking Adam. It was seek and find. But Adam hid because 
of his sin. I've realized from scripture that God has always done his part in seeking man. When you read 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 27, he reveals himself to Egypt. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10, he reveals himself to the Gentiles, meaning he would reveal himself to Israel, to Egypt, and the Gentiles. In summary, he was saying, I will reveal myself to everyone, to everyone who is willing to seek me and find me. And Psalm 98 verse 2 sums it up nicely. It says, the Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. Whatever nation you are from, wherever you are from, God is seeking to be in relationship with man. And if you seek him and find him, then you can also be in relationship with him. God has revealed himself to us in seeking us as believers, who if we do our part in searching for him with our whole heart, will find him wholeheartedly. I don't want you to be someone that's either in here or watching in line that is hiding from God because of the shame of your sins. I don't want you to be someone who's hiding from others because of the shame of your sins. In fact, James tells us to confess our sins to one another. But one thing I will say is that God will test your humility. He will see, like we've seen this morning, whether you will humble yourselves to get help that you need from others, to get help directly from his throne by humbling yourself and going on your knees and crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you. The Bible tells us to draw closer to God and he will draw closer to you. And maybe there are areas in your life where you're seeking him, you're needing answers, you're needing direction, you're needing clarity. My prayer for each and every one of us as we go into this week of prayer and fasting is that we will seek him wholeheartedly, that we will seek him diligently and that we will humble ourselves before him in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let us stand, church. I want to give you a moment wherever you are just to bow your heads.